BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Thursday, February 16th, and welcome to another episode of The Ben Jarofsky Show, brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink. It's a great time. Check it out. ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this show, you can. It's real easy. Just go to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A. V as in victory. S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Trotsky here. We're calling this advice to Chewy Thursday, and here's why. I got some advice for Jesus Chewy Garcia, who's running for all mayor of the city of Chicago, Congressman Jesus Chewy Garcia. And uh, as I say, whenever I give advice, my first advice to any candidate is not to take any advice from someone like me. Okay, so even though I'm a good, now I'm going to go ahead and give advice, and my advice is just ignore what I have to say as advice. Uh, and this advice is because I got a, a phone call right before I went on air. Perfect timing. I'm about to go on air, and I'm focused on what I'm going to converse with, with uh, my guest, Sean Estelle, about. You know, And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes a Chewy supporter who uh, has lost his mind because apparently he's worried that Chewy won't win. And so he's blaming me. <laughs> what? You haven't been promoting Chewy enough. It's like... How is it my fault that Chewy Garcia somehow or other? It's always yeah. Ben. <laughs> sitting congressman. Uh, it's got to be your fault uh, for a sitting congressman not to be able to win. <laughs> so I'm going to give him some advice. But before I do, I just want to comment on the latest Bears news, folks. I cannot help myself um, to quote the four tops. Whenever the Bears are in the news, I just feel compelled to weigh in on it. And I'm not talking about the Bears on the uh, field as a football team. I'll save that conversation for a Lee Allen Jones show where we break down the Bears as a football team. Uh, as lousy as they've been. I'm talking about the Bears as an entity that's about to get a big, fat, whopping handout from someone in government. I'm not quite sure who exactly. My my bet has been since 2021 that Arlington Heights is going to pony up, no pun intended, because it's a former racetrack, and give the Bears something they don't really need or deserve, uh, and which there are many, many more people who deserve more than them, and that is some kind of tax subsidy, tax break, whatever. They're going to essentially raise your taxes so they can give the Bears a tax break or give literally money to the Bears. They'll cook something up. Right now, the only issue is how can they cook it up in such a way as to fool people into thinking it's not a handout when it actually is a handout? So that's what they're doing right now, okay? That's all you need to know. Anyway, so yesterday, the breaking news, breaking news. 
is that the Chicago Bears had closed on their deal to purchase the Arlington, the old Arlington Park uh, racetrack, where uh, I was known to uh, gamble for many, many, uh, many, many years in the late seventies and early eighties. Uh, and uh, they're so they now own it, I guess. So they they purchased it. Uh, so that was breaking news because they're one step closer in the minds of people to leaving Chicago and going to Arlington Heights. Uh, that prompted this response from Mayor Lori Lightfoot, which I will now read. Here we go. <clears throat> a dramatic reading. <clears throat> Here we go. A statement from Lightfoot's office said, I'm reading this from the uh, Chicago Sun-Times story, quote, all of us diehard Bear fans, the mayor included, know and believe that the Chicago Bears should remain in Chicago. So now that the land deal has closed, we have an e- I'm sorry, I can't read this with a straight face. So now that the land deal has closed, we have an even better opportunity to continue making the business case as to why the Bears should remain in Chicago and why adaptations to Soldier Field can meet and exceed all the Bears' future needs. All right, let me. I can't read anymore because I'll start laughing. All right, listen. Lori Latfoot should have taken our advice and municipalized the Bears uh, <laughs> when she had the chance. <laughs> My distinguished guest is really waiting to talk Bears. I didn't realize uh, Sean, uh, Sean would be talking Bears, but I'm just going to give this point. This first point, uh, as all of us diehard Bear fans, the Bears know, believe the Chicago should remain in Chicago. The Bears should remain in Chicago. No, the Bears should not remain in Chicago. Farewell, Bears. I am a diehard Bear fan for reasons that are really too weird for me to get into right now. I should have abandoned this team long ago. I, I haven't. I, I, I need help. I admit it. That said, the Bears should not remain in Chicago because if they are to remain in Chicago, they're going to shake down the citizenry of Chicago for even more money than they've already shaken us down for. We're still paying off the debt on the last time they shook us down. And that money could have gone to a lot of things that we desperately need in the city of Chicago, ranging from mental health clinics to uh, counselors in the school system to, I don't know, fixing our sidewalks, our crumbling sidewalks, viaducts and streets throughout the city. What a, I could come up with a list of 50 things, 100 things more pressing that Chicagoans need than a Bears stadium. So Bears, farewell. Go to Arlington Heights. Arlington Heights, they're your problem. You want to pay for them, Arlington Heights? Not my problem. I don't, but I'll tell you this, J.B. Pritzker, do not give the Bears a nickel in state money. If Arlington Heights wants to raise its property taxes and divert money from its public schools to finance the Bears' dream stadium, let them do it. I don't live in Arlington Heights. I don't pay taxes in Arlington Heights. It doesn't mean one thing to the city of Chicago. If the Bears go, they play eight games a year. It's Soldier Field, ladies and gentlemen. You say, oh, what about the playoffs? Playoffs? <laughs> they were the worst team in football. They're not making the playoffs anytime soon. So... I believe, actually, that most Bears fans agree with me on this one. Most Bears fans are probably, they want to get out of the cold. So Arlington is going to be, you know, I'm a Bears fan, monster of the midway. Yeah, you guys just want to be under a roof. It's cold, man. It's raining. (laughs) So Bears go, 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 go to Arlington Heights. Arlington Heights, you pay for them. They're your problem. They're not our problem. Now, here's my advice to Paul Valls before I turn things over to uh, Sean Estelle. You want to make the runoff? It comes down to one simple sentence. Say, quote, I can beat Paul Vallis. There you go. 
I know a lot of people sitting on the fence right now. They're not really lefties. My lefty friends are pretty much most of them. They're, you know, they're going with Brandon. But I got a little like they used to call them liberals. Now they call them progressive. I don't really know what they're called. They're kind of nervous Nelly types, but they don't like Paul Vallis. You know, Paul Vallis is about to meet. Oh, no, excuse me. The Fraternal Order of Police, which has endorsed Paul Vallis. And Paul Vallis has been playing footsies with them for the last three years, is, is inviting Ron DeSantis uh, to come to town. And they're going to live. I mean, horrifying. <clears throat> yeah. So I would say even liberals in Chicago are offended by Ron DeSantis. So here you go. Jesus Chewy Garcia. Make a case. I can beat Paul Vallis. There you go. A little advice, which I know you're, as I said, you're free to ignore and you probably will ignore. All right, uh, Sean Estelle, uh, you are here to talk Commonwealth Edison, but you got a lot of opinions already on other things. I could tell you're weighing in. Uh, <laughs> For what it's worth, I totally agree with you about the Bears. Uh, you know, farewell to them. Arlington Heights can have them. <laughs> yeah, the, the Arlington. They even call them the Arlington Heights Bears. I don't care. Call them the Arlington Heights Bears. Uh, so, all right, folks, um, Sean Estelle was really um, uh, gracious to come on the show under a fast uh, notice. So thank you very much, Sean, for doing this. Thanks and, so much. Uh, so let me just give a little um, uh, explanation of how I reached out to Sean. And uh, so Dave Goetz, who uh, from Inside Chicago Government, comes on the show once a month. We break down city council. Uh, we analyze the Chicago City Council. Uh, we have clips. We play clips, four or five clips a show, and then we analyze them. It's one of my favorite uh, shows. We do it once a month. And uh, on Tuesday, we did a show where we got into a discussion of the Commonwealth Edison, the proposed Commonwealth Edison agreement. Uh, and uh, Dave played a clip of Sean Estelle testifying in the public comment period uh, beforehand and then told a story, which I, Sean, until Dave said it, I did not know it. Now, maybe it was in the papers and I missed it. I just missed it. I, so I humbly apologize to you. Uh, he was kicked out of the Chicago city council and I'm like, you gotta be kidding. So I said, Dave, could you reach out to Sean and, uh, and get the information so we can, uh, Bring Sean to the show, and Dave, thank you, did that, and so here we are. So, uh, first of all, Sean, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, and um, so let's not talk about the Bears right now, even though I'm so tempted uh, to go down that road. And let's not talk about my advice for Chewy Garcia, even though I'm really tempted to go down that road. Uh, and let's not talk at the moment about Paul Vallis, although I have a feeling we're probably going to get into him. Uh, let's instead talk about the Commonwealth Edison Agreement, uh, the proposed uh, agreement that the tentative agreement that Lori Lightfoot has reached with ComEd and wants the city council to approve, your position on it, uh, and what happened to you uh, at the Chicago City Council meeting. So let's uh, first talk in the most general terms about what is at stake, the Commonwealth Edison Agreement. So feel free to explain to people what exactly it is and where we're at with it. Go ahead. Yeah, totally. Thanks so much, Ben. Uh, so for folks that don't know, Commonwealth Edison is a private investor-owned utility that owns the poles and wires that distribute electricity that's generated by its parent, mostly by its parent company, Exelon, um, which owns a lot of the nuclear plants downstate and other major uh, electricity generators. They own the poles and wires which distribute the energy, and that's why everybody pays a bill in Chicago to ComEd. 
They have 30 to 40 year contracts historically with the city uh, that are negotiated that do things like set rates uh, that uh, consumers will be paying, uh, that set the amount of profit that uh, ComEd will be making on that uh, distribution of a basic good and service, and also who's going to be responsible for things like maintenance, uh, and now also who's going to be responsible for things like transitioning where that energy is coming from, from dirty fossil fuels to clean and uh, renewable energy resources. So uh, across the country, uh, both uh, in previous iterations of environmental justice movements and then also because of the climate crisis, there have been campaigns that have sprung up with other private investor-owned utilities to try and municipalize them, to take them under public ownership. Uh, and sometimes this has been done by people who uh, like are sick of paying really high electricity bills and they're just coming up with this idea out of nowhere. Uh, for other folks like myself included, this is building on a, a hundred year history of the sewer socialists in Milwaukee and other places calling for uh, public ownership of basic goods and services. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, in Boulder, Colorado, in Minneapolis, in New York City, in other places from 2009 to 2015, we started to see campaigns for municipalization and for public power. And in 2018, uh, we actually were made aware that there was going to be a renegotiation of the contract between the city and ComEd coming up for the first time in 30 years since the contract was uh, signed by Mayor Daley in 1992. And so I was made aware of this and I uh, was an elected leader in Chicago DSA, Chicago Democratic Socialists of America uh, at the time. And so I worked with a team of people to do a ton of research on the previous uh, franchise agreement what sort of opportunities there would be in a campaign to call for public ownership, uh, what Mayor Daley had done during the previous negotiations and what concessions uh, he had been able to extract from ComEd, uh, and then uh, also starting to connect it with larger movements for climate justice that were really exploding at the time, specifically the Green New Deal, because this was happening in fall of 2018, and that's when the Green New Deal kind of exploded onto the public scene. So we launched a campaign in January of 2019 called Democratize ComEd uh, during the last municipal election cycle, where we were calling for uh, municipalizing ComEd, taking ComEd into public ownership as the sort of top line or ultimate goal of what we wanted to see happen. But we also had secondary goals that we put forward too, around a democratically elected utility board that would have community advisors, organizational representatives, uh, essentially trying to bring a utility into more democratic control, talking about decarbonization of our electric supply by 2030, instituting progressive electric rates at the commercial and personal uh, level, banning shutoffs, uh, which is a really heinous practice that ComEd uh, has done for a long time and was a big wedge issue that we saw during the pandemic when people didn't have money to keep the lights on. Uh, and then also expanding low-income assistance and other uh, ways that people could be participating in, uh, yeah, the utility. So now, uh, to close uh, this little intro, um, now we have this draft franchise agreement 
that uh, Lori Lightfoot put up basically with two weeks notice. She didn't even talk to her allies on city council, let alone uh, the people that have been pushing for these campaign demands within and outside of city council. Um, and uh, there are some really bad things in the agreement itself. Specifically, there's language around banning municipalization for five years. There's nothing banning municipalization in the current draft franchise agreement. So that would actually be a huge step backwards. Uh, additionally, the length of the franchise agreement is 15 years, which in our opinion is way too long, uh, specifically uh, as we start to think about the flexible energy system that we're trying to move into with uh, expanding decarbonization and all of the changes that are going to need to happen at the most basic level. All right. So those all right. Let me just interrupt you uh, uh, because we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves there. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, so uh, the point, one of the points you made, uh, Democratic Socialists of America, you're a Democratic Socialist. And in 1992, uh, Sean, when uh, Mayor Daley, Richard M., uh, negotiated a franchise agreement with ComEd, where it's expiring now, or maybe it's just already expired, uh, is uh, there was no DSA. Uh, in the city, of, I don't know if there was a DSA anywhere, but there definitely not was not was not one in the city of Chicago with a, a nearly the impact that it has now. So there was no voice like yours at the table in 1992. I can tell you this because I was around in 1992. All right, so the concept of manipulating probably the reason it's not in the franchise agreement is because it never dawned on any of the people making that deal that anyone would push for it. Well, uh, actually in 1992, when that campaign was happening, there were a couple of groups that were pushing for it and Daly, who was a much smarter politician than Lori Lightfoot, he actually uh, like sent his precinct captains out on the fucking doors uh, and like had people leveraging and saying we might actually take people into we might be forced to take ComEd into public ownership because they're not negotiating with us. And so that's how uh, he was able to extract $30 million from ComEd to create the original Department of the Environment yes. because he was actually a smart politician. Yeah, uh, I, I, uh, would I call it daily? a smart politician. I don't know, astute maybe. I don't know if I'd ever used the word smart with daily, but your point's a good one. Uh, and um, But the, the larger point I'm making is that there was no, there wasn't a, a thriving left, far left of center movement in Chicago in 1992 like we have now. So daily could, yes, use the threat of taking over ComEd to force ComEd to kick in some more money. But there was, I will bet you anything, there was no way Rich, Richard Daly was going to lead a charge to take over oh. ComEd. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So, oh. but now you got a guy like Carlos Mears Rosa in the city council. Rosanna Rodriguez is in the city council. JT Jeanette Taylor's in the city council. You know, so there are people who might actually stand up in the city council and make the case for uh, taking control of combat. So it's a, it's more of a quote unquote real threat. All right. So go back and uh, to the 92 agreement. You already started to do that. What are some of the the pros and cons of that agreement so that people realize like what you would like to see remain in a current agreement uh what would you like to see changed in a current agreement so if you could just look the general ways talk in terms of what are the pros and cons of i don't know if it's the existing agreement or because it probably expired but the the last agreement go ahead 
Yeah, totally. Um, so what I will say is that um, I don't have a ton of those in-depth details on hand. Uh, and what I would encourage people to do, and I'll do this throughout, is I would encourage people to come to the Campaign 101 that we'll be doing on February uh, 26th. And I'll make sure that the links are uh, sent along so that people can see that. But you can always go to chicagodsa.org slash events uh, to check it out. Um, I will say that um, that agreement is to my understanding, a sort of standard uh, contract between a city and a private investor-owned utility where uh, they are determining a rate of profit uh, based on how much money they're extracting from uh, the, the consumers, the rate payers. Uh, and basically, uh, almost any contract between an investor-owned utility uh, and uh, a municipality or a county or whatever is going to be determining that rate of profit uh, around how much um, they have invested in their fixed capital, like their poles and wires, if they are a distributing uh, utility, or if they're a generating utility like Exelon, uh, then it's going to be about like the nuclear plants that they have or the coal plants that they have or whatever. And that value is depreciating over time and they have to be able to uh, still make money on it. So the variable there is always around how much are they going to be able to squeeze out of consumers and out of ratepayers? And so when that agreement was signed in 1992, uh, you know, there were a couple of small environmental justice groups like the Center for Neighborhood Technology and other folks who had um, what I would call like eco-socialist politics uh, that were very aware of this and they were trying to call attention to it, but there was not nearly enough public awareness of it. The climate crisis was not a thing at all. People were not even really talking about uh, or aware of climate change uh, in a deep way uh, in 1992. And so that was not the sort of fundamental political terrain that that contract was operating on. Uh, it was, you know, the same way that the city might uh, negotiate the contract with the private rail uh, or privatized rail now, or thinking about like what happened with the parking meter deal too. Um, uh, and the way that that got put into private hands, Commonwealth Edison was already a private uh, investor owned utility. And so it's always been at the level of a fundamental question of how much profit are the shareholders and the board going to be able to make. Uh, and that is the base level question, both in that 1992 contract and then all the way up to everything that we've been seeing happening in Springfield. I mean, that's like one of the other big political questions on the table right now is that all of this stuff around ComEd and the illegal stuff that ComEd has been doing in Springfield with uh, the Future Energy Jobs Act, with the Clean Energy Jobs Act, all of the illegal bribery and everything that they've been doing brought down Mike Madigan uh, and like, you know, uh, congressmen that were uh, mentioned at the top of the call or maybe implicated in that. Um, uh, and so um, that's something that like is part of the political calculus as well is uh, thinking about uh, like what a private utility is going to be able to do with a 30 year contract that was signed in order to keep its profit and what they're trying to do now with ramming through this agreement. <clears throat> okay. Uh, and uh, so most Chicagoans, uh, and I believe this is absolutely true. We're completely unaware that the agreement uh, was expiring. And they were also unaware uh, 
that Mayor Lightfoot uh, and her attorneys uh, were negotiating uh, a new agreement with ComEd. It caught us by surprise when out of nowhere, it was uh, headlines in the Bright One and the Tribune and Cranes, so breaking news, ComEd agreement. Uh, and most Chicagoans are used to agreements sort of Rush being rushed through. This is a history that uh, for the last 20 years, whether it's uh, the parking meter deal, uh, they try to do it with the Olympics. Uh, would have done it with the Olympics if, if the IOC had not uh, given it to Brazil. So we're not used to a lot of debate when it comes uh, to these matters. How were you aware of it? Because you showed up at the city council and you testified for three minutes uh, about the deal. How did you become aware of it? And what did you see as a real danger that the public should know about with this proposed agreement? Go. Yeah, totally. So uh, as I said, uh, some of us became aware of this in like 2018. We made it a campaign of Chicago Democratic Socialists of America in 2019. And people kept campaigning on it for multiple years. There was a whole process that happened with our city council champions like Daniel Lisbada and uh, uh, Carlos and Jeanette and uh, Byron uh, and uh, Rosanna and everybody else. Um, all of that campaigning happened through the pandemic where people ran 101 events, where we pushed people to put forward a request for proposals on what municipalization could look like, on uh, showing up and building coalitions with folks like uh, down in the 10th Ward that were stopping the General Iron Shredder uh, and synthesizing and talking about the relationship between those things. So there's been a lot of awareness building and of getting people really politically committed to this issue. So when all of that news broke, our campaign uh, coordinators, uh, Matthew Kaysen and Rory Gilchrist, um, they basically like sent up a flare and said, hey, we got to get people immediately in motion to give public comment in person, to do it virtually, to think about other escalations that we can be doing uh, within and uh, outside city council to like raise a five alarm fire about this um, because it's a huge step backwards and it includes basically none of our demands uh, except for uh, sort of token uh, community advisory board. And so, yeah, we had our campaign infrastructure that was there and then now it was mobilized. And so, uh, you know, I'm the campaigns coordinator for Chicago DSA. And so not only did I have sort of a personal tie to this from uh, the work that I had done a few years ago, but then also been working with that campaign and the other campaigns of Chicago DSA as we have our 10 endorsed candidates uh, too, uh, to, to figure out what are the political interventions that can be made. And the analysis that folks have basically was Lori Lightfoot uh, has been dragging her heels on this. She clearly doesn't think it's going to be a big win uh, to that'll help her solidify her victory. So we got to figure out other ways to keep the holding pattern right now uh, and then be able to strike when uh, Lori tries to do whatever she's going to do. So this took everybody by surprise. Uh, and when it happened, um, we had to scramble uh, to be able to have myself and a few other people uh, give public comment. And then, yeah, uh, Lori basically made an unforced error uh, after I gave my public comment in person. And we were able to do some very fast organizing uh, in order to make hay of it uh, at the, uh, like, communications level 
and then also have our organized city council people uh, and some of our candidates too commit to be like, yeah, no, we're going to make statements about this and we're going to make this an issue because, you know, it's messed up that this happened to you as like a person uh, and like basic democratic governance issues, but also the, the larger politics of it are just as uh, concerning too. All right. Uh, and uh, so there's a couple of things I want to follow up with. Uh, so the DSA has been actively working uh, on this issue for at least uh, four years. OK. And um, I know there's a lot of smart people in DSA. Uh, and uh, so here you have a group of committed people. And I know they're on the left uh, who working on a, a, on a deal are studying a deal, analyzing a proposed contract that would have huge implications for the city of Chicago. At the same time, you have the mayor of the city of Chicago negotiating, or uh, her lawyers negotiate with ComEd. So in a perfect world, ha, 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 Chicago, never ever resembling a perfect world, in a perfect world, the mayor of the city of Chicago would turn uh, to a Sean Estelle and say, Sean, I understand you've been studying this. I understand you care greatly about this, not just you, but everybody in DSA. What uh, would you like to see in the agreement? What changes or modifications would you like to see us try to push comment? Love to just pick your brain and hear what you have to say. Just like Ben does on his show. He brings Sean on to hear. I don't know about combat agreements. That's not my wheelhouse, you know, but I'm going to listen to Sean. He studied it. So lead up to this. Did Mayor Lori Lightfoot or anybody associated with Mayor Lori Lightfoot ever reach out to DSA to ask these just basic questions of a group that had clearly been studying this agreement and had strong opinions about it and had some expertise built up. They never try to pick your brain, Sean Estelle? Go. Uh, yeah, totally. They never tried to pick my brain uh, personally, uh, in large part because I stepped away for those two years from 2019 to 2021. I was serving on the national leadership of DSA. So uh, my sense is that there were a lot of briefings that happened with city council members. I don't know for sure whether there were briefings things that happened with the mayor's office. Um, but once the push happened around uh, feasibility studies on municipalization, there was a lot of work that was done in terms of working with firms on that, um, starting to develop reports, doing a lot of briefing, uh, and uh, talking through that, not just with like our socialist block on city council, but with a very large set of uh, folks on city council. Right. So yeah, you want to have a follow-up conversation with the folks who did that work and talk about that? I'm very happy to connect you. Uh, what just, I will, uh, yeah, go ahead. So just to like close that is that um, Lori, uh, like she, unlike Mayor Daley, uh, and unlike our politicians that we have elected now, who understand the uh, way in which this is a threat to ComEd, she ceded all of that political leverage in January of 2020, when she went on a press tour saying that public power will never happen. So even if she had gone and come to us and said like, okay, I guess I can listen to what you say, she already ceded that political leverage by going on a press to her and saying, well, this is never going to happen. So she chose her side uh, and like she's 
an enemy uh and like we know what her position is um that doesn't mean that even her allies in city council uh may not be movable and that's sort of the power negotiations when we're doing something uh as complex uh as one of these agreements is like how do we think about the horizon that we want as democratic socialists of public ownership of basic goods and services while understanding that not everybody is going to be there and so how do we then include some basic demands like the stuff around banning shutoffs or a much shorter franchise agreement and you know that's always one of the tensions of how uh, people are negotiating uh when they're dealing with uh people like lori lightfoot who has ceded all of her political leverage and is gonna be gone on february 28th probably <clears throat> all right uh so this is more of a question for you to put your speculative hat on, uh, and it is this. You said uh, that you had expected, uh, and your allies uh, had expected that Lori Lightfoot would hold off uh, on the releasing the proposed agreement and asking a city council vote on the proposed agreement until after the election, until later. Uh, and that she caught you off guard, like she caught me off guard when she released it uh, whenever she did a few weeks ago so that the council could uh, act on it before the election. In your humble opinion, and I realize you're not uh, talking on a daily basis with Mayor Lori Lightfoot, ha, 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 uh, or weekly or monthly or yearly or a uh, basis with Lori Lightfoot. Why did she flip? Why did she go from uh, holding back, in your humble opinion, to releasing? Yeah, totally. Uh, it's a question that I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, I think that there are, like, uh, there's speculation that I had and like none of this is me speaking on behalf of the campaign or the organization. This is all very personal opinion. Uh, I think that there is two possibilities, basically, one of which is very intense pressure from ComEd uh, in order to get a deal signed while the political calculus is clear in terms of the power breakdown on city council and the power uh, in the office on the fifth floor because ComEd is about to go on trial for bribery uh, in early March. And also, they've just submitted uh, uh, proposals uh, in Springfield to the Illinois Commerce Commission that probably is going to have to get legislative approval uh, down in Springfield with the Illinois General Assembly around major rate hikes uh, that they want to see happen to make the bills go up again. So if they are able to ram through and get fresh ink on an agreement, a 15-year agreement, um, before all of those things happen and before press starts breaking and before people's bills go up uh, and before people get really angry about that, ComEd is basically going to be able to turn around and like flip a middle finger to everybody and say, we just signed a 15 year contract with one of our biggest customers and you can't do anything about it. So I think that that is the political pressure reason. I think that there's probably also a self-interest reason on Lightfoot's um, uh, a part too. Because, as I've said in my public comment and here a couple of times, she is a terrible politician. She probably realizes that at this point. Um, and uh, if her polls are as bad as they are, and if she is done after a single term, 
she was a corporate lawyer before uh, she was the mayor of Chicago. So there might be something there in terms of a sweetheart deal on the other side of it, if she can get something uh, signed, even if it means committing political suicide with all of her allies on city council. So Lori has made it very clear many times throughout her term that her number one priority is Lori. Uh, <laughs> uh, and like, that is from like all the press tours that she's taken the way that she's like uh, messaged on the national level rather than focusing on chicago the way that she has like uh, alienated everybody in her base um you know it's not just the socialists that are saying this like sue garza said it in her retirement she was like i've never known anybody to alienate as many allies uh and so maybe there's like some self-interest stuff in there too uh where uh somebody's promising her a job uh you know, maybe it's in ComEd uh, or maybe it's just like uh, she knows that uh, big corporations are going to be watching uh, and maybe she'll be able to add it to her resume uh, and have people overlook this blip of hers uh, as a failed politician. <clears throat> that was a great riff, man. Uh, all right. Uh, let's get down to what went down at the Chicago City Council uh, and uh, it began with you giving uh, a statement during the three minute, your three minutes that they allowed for public statement. Uh, and uh, so why don't you just tell the story? Because this one, folks, I've been around a long time. This, <laughs> this one here, man, this one, <laughs> this one is really a trip. That's all I got to say. This one is just a trip, man. Chicago, you're just not ready for democracy, Chicago. You're just not ready for democracy, okay? It's totally. just, you can't handle it. It's just blowing your mind. Totally. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, city of Chicago. All right, take it away, uh, Sean Estelle. Yeah, totally. So basically, as I said, uh, you know, we through the campaign had signed up a few people to give public comment. I was the only one that had signed up to give public comment in person, showed up at city council. It was just me and George Blakemore, a uh, hero of city council, gives a public comment every time. Uh, and they're always great. Um, and public comment always happens first at city council meetings. And uh, I had been chosen to go first. So I got up, I talked for three minutes, basically laid out some of that campaign history that you and I just went over. And then was very explicit about Lori Lightfoot's electoral prospects, the fact that she's using this as a political chip uh, and everything else. And then I sat down and went and like quietly observed the proceedings of the meeting for two hours. Um, I was sitting about two or three rows back from the banister. So there was no way that I could have conferred with any of the aldermen uh, in an inappropriate way. Two hours went by. There were a couple of resolutions uh, honoring Shirley Newsom and uh, Ed Harris and Black History Month. And then at about 12.15, I had a group of like five or six cops uh, in uh, formal wear approach me. Uh, so it was suited up CPD. It was not the sergeant at arms team. Um, and these CPD folks said, hey, you need to gather up your stuff. Come with us. I had no idea what was going on. I had about 3% left on my phone battery. So I basically got a couple of texts off saying like, hey, the cops are like coming to talk to me right now. I don't know what's going on. If you don't hear from me in an hour and a half, start making calls and show up at City Hall. Um, and the cops uh, basically were like, 
did you do something wrong? Like, what's going on? And I was like, no, I have no idea what is happening. I was just observing the meeting. And the CPD officers were just as confused as I was. They literally said to me, oh, I think we might have grabbed the wrong guy. Let me go back and talk to the sergeant at arms uh, team again, um, because you were just sitting there and you said nothing obscene in your comments. They were a little fast, but like, you know, you didn't say anything totally disruptive uh, and you weren't talking to any alderman or anything like that. So anyway, um, got escorted down to the first floor. There were a couple of back and forths between CPD and the Sergeant at Arms team. I told them that um, I needed to know exactly which protocol I had violated, that I did want to observe the proceedings of the meeting. And if that meant me sitting further back or whatever was necessary, that was totally fine. But I really wanted to observe the proceedings of the meeting. And if I couldn't do that, that I needed to know which protocol exactly I had violated, who had told uh, the sergeant at arms team that I violated a protocol and then also that I needed all of it in writing. Eventually I was given a, um, a paper handbook uh, of the rules of order and procedure of city council. Um, so not for members of the general public, but this little handbook of the rules of order and procedure of city council. And I was cited uh, the the officer or the sergeant at arms guy had said that it was rule 50, which is about censure of members and expulsion of members and talks about how members of city council who use obscene or insulting language or don't obey an order of the chair can be censured or expelled from the meeting, but it requires a two thirds vote for it to happen. So even if I was a member of city council, the procedure would not have been followed, but I'm a member of the public. Uh, and so this was given to me when I read the rule and I said to the officer, like, look, this doesn't apply to me. I'm a member of the public. He then changed his story and said, well, the sergeant at arms doesn't technically need a reason for you to be like uh, taken out of the room. Uh, and uh, here's a business card. And he gave me a business card, which is for the scheduling department of the mayor. So there's just like a general email of like, you know, come talk with Lori Lightfoot or one of her people. Um, and he was very apologetic the whole time. He was like, look, uh, I don't know what's going on. I feel really bad about this. I'm just doing my job, blah, blah, blah. So that was a de-escalated con conversation, which was good because my phone was dead at that point. Um, but, uh, but I basically couldn't wait around for a lawyer to show up because I was like, yeah, my rights are being violated right now. Uh, and I don't know what's going on. Uh, and so... Eventually, I was able to file a complaint with the Office of the Inspector General, start to talk about some other potential legal options. Uh, and while all of that was happening, very shortly after I had been ejected from the room uh, as like the sole in-person observer from DSA, as somebody that was literally wearing a red jacket that said Democratic Socialists of America on it, uh, so very visibly affiliated with the organization, um, shortly after I got ejected from the meeting, that was when all the debate happened on ComEd uh, and when Lightfoot tried to, uh, there was like procedural maneuvering that happened. And then Lightfoot tried to say, well, let's just call a special meeting on the 27th of February so that we can get this deal done uh, or whatever the date was. Uh, she was trying to call for a special city council meeting in general. And everybody erupted at that point. Uh, it wasn't just the socialists or whatever, like everybody lost their mind and said, absolutely not. And so she ended up pulling that uh, from the floor. And luckily um, one of our uh, alderman 
Germanic champions, Byron Sigtra Lopez, was able to get something read into the record uh, about how I had been ejected from the meeting and what was going on, and this is totally inappropriate, etc. So I filed a complaint with the Office of the Inspector General, as I said. I was on the phone from like 1 p.m. to 8 p.m. talking to Daniel, to Byron, to Ambria Taylor, uh, to other folks. We were trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, and then I also... Um, hit up Heather Sharon at WTTW uh, and was like, hey, this just happened. Can we talk about this? And we ended up talking. She made a ton of calls and she put out a piece the next day in uh, or two days later uh, in WTTW that basically uh, laid out that she had gotten on the phone with the sergeant at arms team and also with Michelle Harris, who's Lightfoot's floor leader. And they said that like they had no idea uh, about my removal or anything like that. So somebody's lying. Uh, <laughs> it's unclear who, but somebody's lying. Uh, and, you know, uh, like Heather was also shocked. Um, she was like, this is crazy. What is going on here? Um, and so that was basically everything. We ended up having a couple of people release statements and then uh, like candidates, because I'm an 11th Ward resident, Ambria Taylor, uh, who's running in the 11th Ward, released a statement about, um, you know, an 11th Ward resident um, getting illegally ejected uh, from a meeting. And then we also had a joint statement come from the five Democratic Socialist aldermen. Uh, and then also Andre Vasquez, um, who said, like, this is horrifying. What is going on? And tying to some of the larger political implications of what's happening with the franchise agreement, too. So, you know. We moved very quickly on trying to organize some stuff around it, and uh, we're continuing to try and escalate around it, too, because at the end of the day, it's not just about what happened to me. Like, it was a horrifying experience, but it is also uh, just a very clear example of Lightfoot flailing. So we're trying to mobilize people to go and knock doors. Like, this Saturday, we're having an eco-socialist day of action for three of our candidates, and we're going to probably mobilize people to the next city council meeting, and we're going to keep this in the news, and we're going to make sure that people are still aware of it. Um, because, yeah, regardless of what happens to me personally, like people got to know about this. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so just a few yes or no questions. Uh, you you live in the 11th Ward. Amory yep. Taylor is uh, running uh, in the 11th Ward election. Uh, can't, and she's running the Democratic Socialist endorsement. I'm just curious, the, the incumbent alderman of the 11th Ward is Nicole Lee. Did she reach out to you uh, and show uh, any concern for what happened to you and show support for you? No, no, she did not. I've thought about calling her office, um, but like she was there at the meeting. Uh, she's an absentee alderman who barely votes on anything. And, you know, uh, her attack mailers uh, or her mailers uh, are making clear what her positions are. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, a powerhouse in that award. Uh, you mentioned uh, you had something complimentary to say about Richard M. Daly, which may have been the first complimentary thing ever said about Richard M. Daly on the Ben Jarofsky show. So <laughs> if we have an award for like complimenting Richard Daly, you're going to get actually no. there's a, I have a couple centrists to come on the show. Ben, you're mean to Daly. Uh, and I'm thinking of you, Pete Cunningham. Uh, and uh, so did the, any of the Dailies reach out to you? John Daly? You know, no, no. Commissioner Daly didn't reach out to you. No, no. Uh Absolutely. How about the mayor's brother, William Daly, who ran for mayor in 2009? No, <laughs> oh, no, absolutely not. I'm flailing here. Uh, <laughs> Patrick Thompson Daly, did he send you a memo or anything? No, the former alderman of the <laughs> All right, so so much for the Daly's looking out for you. Um, 
so okay they uh, ushered you out you got to by the way when you said everybody uh, uh erupted uh again i urge everybody to check out tuesday's show with dave goatz we had a field day breaking down what went down the parliamentary maneuvers that went on uh as uh mayor Lori lightfoot tried to come bring it it's pretty funny, man. Come on, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> Even you have to laugh at how absurd it is. This hard, complicated deal that will affect thousands and thousands of people, which requires debate, study, analysis, and maybe amending. You know what I'm saying? You would want to rush that through the Chicago City Council, like in a meeting or two. Oh, God. Anyway, um, uh, but the alderman prevented that from happening. So that's uh, what you're talking about. So in retrospect, and again, I'm asking you uh, to put on your speculation hat because you're not privy to out of the conversations of the people who decided they should kick you out of the city council for the high crime of sitting in a chair and watching the city council. Again, the man was not speaking out. The man was not. He. Sean did not have a sign denouncing Mayor Life. Did not have a T-shirt denouncing Mayor Life. None of these things were happening, Sean. So, in your humble opinion, what happened, and why did they kick you out of the city council? Yeah, totally. Um, I will say, just for your reference, uh, it's person, and I use they/them pronouns, um, but it's totally okay. Um, I think that what happened is that Lightfoot uh, basically um, got really offended and personally hurt. Uh, and um, she has a very thin skin for being the mayor of one of the largest cities of Chicago. Uh, we've seen her react uh, very harshly in the media. Uh, and, um, you know, like when the CTU negotiations were happening, um, she like took things very personally and got very emotional about it. Um, and so what I think probably happened is that Lori got really pissed that I called her out for being uh, a really dumb politician uh, and for like uh, cynical political calculations that were not going to work. Uh, and she uh, tried to find some kind of excuse, either her or one of her people in city council uh, or whatever, tried to find some excuse. And maybe that's the reason it took two hours because they were trying to figure out who was going to ask the sergeant at arms. Maybe she was stewing uh, up on the dais for two hours and then was like, I'm mad. Um, but like either way, uh, she was probably being petty, uh, but made a huge unforced error. And I mean, I, I know you said that you don't like uh, cursing on the show very much, but like she fucked around and now she's about to find out. Uh, like, you know? <laughs> I really look forward to the inspector general's report when it's released. Uh, I hope this is one report that they don't uh, keep from the public. I had a conversation with Greg Pratt that's going to fall on Saturday. We talked at length about inspector general reports uh, that are produced with public tax dollars. And yet for reasons nobody can figure out are concealed from the public. So uh, I would really hope that the inspector general gets to release this report. Would love to see the chain of command uh, on this one. Who, uh, who called who and said what? Because yep. uh, Sean was doing nothing wrong. In fact, the whole point of having public comments is because ostensibly we're supposed to want to hear from the public. That's like why they have the public comments. You know, we're supposed to at least pretend, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, 
uh, that you care about what the people of the city of Chicago have to say. I know you may, maybe inside you don't care and you're rolling your eyes and you want to cut your deal, but you're at least supposed to pretend you care, you know? So if that's what and all of, comment go. All of those security measures that were put in place because of COVID, um, like Lori Lightfoot is totally fine with rolling back a mask mandate, with doing other basic safety measures around the ongoing pandemic, but she's holding on to the power of being able to like immediately remove people from city council, to cite rules that are not even applying to members of the public, uh, and then to have like huge details of cops uh, and have limited public participation. And this is one of the really scary things around like pandemic politics that we're dealing with too, is that like electeds and people with power are willing to both roll back safety measures for, for working class people and people who do have to go to work in person while holding on to the increased militarization that came from uh, the pandemic. Uh, it's really scary. And Lightfoot uh, would be bad uh, for a second term. Somebody like Paul Vallis would be even worse for that, too. All right. We'll, we'll get to that one. We'll get to that. We'll close with that. Uh, all right. So um, I'm going to ask you to do now uh, looking into the future, your crystal ball. And I did uh, Dave Glowatz and I did this at the end of our show after we had this long conversation about we went down at the meeting. I urge everybody to check it out. Uh, and. So essentially, the way it's set up now uh, is that it will not be entertained by the city council uh, until after February 28th. But there's a possibility that the, uh, the combat agreement could come before the city council in a lame duck session that would occur in between, follow me in this, ladies and gentlemen, in between the February 28th uh, first round election and the May council meeting in which the new aldermen and women uh, come into to the city council, the new mayor or the reelected uh, Lori Lightfoot come back. In other words, and the uh, precedent for this is the infamous Lincoln Yards deal of 2019, where in Mayor Rahm's last city council meeting, the lame deck Chicago uh City Council voted to raise your property taxes and hand over $1.3 billion to some developers to develop, uh, to help gentrify an already gentrifying neighborhood. In other words, they, they freaking voted to waste your money. And they did this on the last meeting, Sean Estelle, before they walked out the door to quote Gloria Gaynor. So, I remember. In, in your humble opinion, and I had this uh, conversation with Dave Gods. Get your thoughts on this. Will the Democratic Socialists and Byron Sexual Lopez and JT, Jeanette Taylor and Daniel Espada, et cetera, and so forth, will they be successful in uh, forcing the city to hold off until a new council is sworn in? Or will Lori Lightfoot pull a Rahm Emanuel and get the rubber stampers in the Chicago City Council to approve this in the lame duck session right before a new council is sworn in. Your thoughts? Yeah, I will say that there is a very real threat of that happening and that uh, Lightfoot will be able to uh, bring her floor leaders and her allies under enough discipline in order to make it happen. And that there's gonna be like, that the vote count will be the way the vote count happens. Regardless though, uh, I think that that, 
I think the chips are kind of settled on that. And what's going to play out there is going to play out there. The variable that we have control over as a mass democratic organization that is operating across the entire city, the democratic socialists that you talked about who function not only as people who like cast votes, but are also organizers and are using their ward offices as places to organize from and to put people in motion uh, is to bring people out into the streets to like get as many people as possible signed up for public comment uh, and to like promise uh, that, I mean, I said it in my public comment, I was like, Lori Lightfoot is on the wrong side of history. We will out organize her. And I think that uh, there is a real possibility that uh, something like this that would have huge implications will end up having the votes in a lame duck session. But I also think that uh, we can organize our asses off for the next two months. We can get Dem more democratic socialists elected in the first round of the election, that it can change the calculus of how people are thinking about politics in Chicago uh, for the next term and that it might sway some people that are in the center who are not socialists by any stretch of the imagination, but they might see that there is more of a block to be reckoned with uh, and that, uh, you know, they cannot, uh, like, we are a force that cannot be ignored. Uh, and then if we show up at the next city council meeting, uh, you know, and we can, like, actually demonstrate that and we can show that that can happen. I mean, like, we can, uh, we can very clearly make it clear to any aldermanic candidates or mayoral candidates in between the first and second round of the election, that if they're taking donations from ComEd uh, or if they're going to vote yes on a deal, that we will make their lives a living hell for four years uh, and that we will bird dog them at every single event. We could do something like that. Um, and all it is going to take is the organized people power to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, well, just let's pause and think, Sean, about a, a lame duck vote on a ComEd deal that has not been properly scrutinized and vetted and discussed and analyzed in the middle of the Madigan trial. I'm like, every time I think Chicago can't get worse, boo, that would be that. Wow. I just, yep. so I, I, I'm with you. I, I, I have to believe it won't happen, but I, I hear your point. You got to fight like hell in the city, always constantly to keep the city from doing something really stupid. It's like, you just, it's just a constant, forget doing the right thing. Just, it's a constant struggle to keep <laughs> Chicago from doing the stupid thing. Which Chicago is so, this is me speaking, not Sean. Chicago is so determined at every turn. How stupid can we be? I know. Let's sell the parking meters that are worth $10 billion for $1 billion. <laughs> That's just one example. The Olympics would have been worse, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, all right. So now I'm going to uh, end this show with a uh, what I call the lefties nightmare. Every lefty comes on the show, gets this question. So don't think I'm picking on you. Uh, and a lot of lefties come on this show. Uh, the, the runoff comes down to Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Paul uh, <laughs> Vallis. Uh, who would you vote for, Sean Estelle? Look, I would I would go into the ballot box and I would immediately cast a vote for Lori Lightfoot and my conscience would be clear about doing that. And the reason that my conscience would be clear about doing that is because actually my individual vote matters very little. Uh, it is about organized blocks of people and the uh, political work that is happening every single day outside of going and casting a vote in the ballot box. I, I voted for Hillary Clinton on November 16, 2020, and I voted for Joe Biden 
Clinton on uh, November 8th of uh, 2020, or I did it for Hillary Clinton in 2016, whatever. And like, my conscience is totally clear because actually my individual vote matters very little. It is about the organized blocks of people and the organized working class power that we are building. Um, and that is what matters the most. And so, yeah, if it's a Lori Lightfoot and Paul Vallis runoff, then I'll go vote for Lori Lightfoot and then I'll go bird dog her house that day or the next day. Uh, and like, it's about choosing my enemy uh, that uh, like, I don't, I want a mayor uh, that is not gonna be endorsed by the FOP, that is not gonna be bringing fascists to Chicago, that is not gonna be like accelerating things even more rapidly. I do think that uh, both of those options would be terrible because we would continue to see like privatization of basic goods and services probably, but Vallis would probably make it happen faster and he's probably a smarter politician uh, than Lori Lightfoot. So at the end of the day though, it matters very little uh, what my individual vote would be. And it's much more about uh, the democratic uh, decisions that are being made by the organization that I'm an elected leader of and that I'm carrying out, um, which right now is about 10 endorsed candidates. It's uh, knocking doors for those people. And then it's about executing the campaigns and what they look like and building democratic socialism, no matter who's in office. <clears throat> we got a fucking strike happening in August, probably. Well, they're in contract negotiations, but like if a strike goes down with the UPS Teamsters in August, it is going to be the largest strike of the 21st century. Uh, and it could fundamentally change the way that goods and services uh, are being affected in Chicago and around the country. And like, that is what my eye is set on right now is how we are thinking about building working class power around probably one of the biggest strikes that we've ever seen. Um, like, that's what I care about. So, <clears throat> yeah, well, that's a hell of a riff. I gotta give you credit for that riff. Uh, I'll just push back a little bit. I hear what you're saying. Uh, your vote, my vote, uh, matters very little. I hear what I know what you're saying, you know. And I think about it, like even in Chicago, where only 35% of the people will vote on it, 35% of the uh, registered voters, how pathetic that is. Uh, it's, it's, it's like, but that's my vote, you know. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. That's my vote. So, but I hear what you're saying. Ultimately, I've had so many people say, Ben, it doesn't matter. And then they'll try to illustrate it for me. They're like, they'll like take, imagine Ben, 500,000 pennies in a jar. And I'm going to put your penny in there. See, it doesn't matter. People have tried to illustrate that to me many times, Sean, but uh, it's still my vote, you know? Yeah. Uh, by, by the way, there's another option, not voting at all, uh, which is uh, there's there's always that option, which, of course, 65 percent of the people in Chicago will vote. All right. Uh, before you uh, walk out the door, uh, Sean, why don't you just leave a, if folks want more info about uh, what you and the Democratic Socialists are doing on this front. They want more info about how the, uh, the contract, the combat contract affects them, et cetera, and so forth. Give them, tell them where they can go to find it. Yeah, totally. So as I've said a couple of times, we have 10 endorsed candidates uh, for city council from uh, the first ward to the 48th ward. Uh, you can go to chicagodsa.org to see that full list. We actually have an eco-socialist day of action happening this Saturday where people are going to be talking about the democratized comment issue on the doors with uh, folks. Uh, and that's going to be happening in the first ward with Daniel Laspada, in the 46th ward with Angela Clay, and in the 10th ward with 
with Oscar Sanchez. Kickoffs are at 11 a.m. You can go to bit.ly slash ecosocialistalders uh, in order to sign up for those. Uh, the next day, there's going to be a labor-focused canvas happening in the 11th Ward with Ambria Taylor, uh, where we're going to be bringing out uh, folks from CCCTU, the Illinois Nurses Association, rank-and-file uh, UPS drivers, Chicago DSA members, to talk about how we're building working-class power. We're going to be pushing towards February 28th and organizing, as I said, to make sure that we are escalating around this with the next city council meeting uh, and in an ongoing way to try and kill this deal uh, that bans municipalization and either way to expand our socialist block on city council. So you can always go to chicagodsa.org slash events to see what's happening. We have a 101 for the campaign happening on Sunday, February 26th. Uh, and if you're not a DSA member yet, you can always go to DSAUSA dot org slash join uh, you don't have to be a DSA member to participate in our campaigns but you do have to be a member to participate in our democracy which we highly encourage people to do join DSA uh, join the movement for democratic socialism right. thank you thank you very much Sean appreciate you coming on the show uh, and also want to thank producer Chris outstanding job as always and as I always say give yourself a raise take it out of petty cash peace and love everybody And remember, you can catch previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.